uh, First Corinthians 15, and uh, we'll be down in verses uh, 15 through 18. So toward, towards the end of the chapter, it's 16. 16, 15 through 18. What are you saying? <coughs> I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanias, that it is the first fruits of Archaea, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. I am glad about the coming of Stephanias, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, for what was lacking on your part they supplied. For they refresh my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge such meaning. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace, again, Lord, asking for help. By your spirit, Lord, we pray, enable us to understand your word, enable us to make proper application so that uh, we may live with your glory in view so that we may do all that we do just as we've been instructed in this epistle so that we may do all that we do for your glory. Lord, I pray, Lord, open our ears to hear, to receive. We ask that you grant that your word go forth in power today. Change hearts. Again, for our good, for your honor and glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You can be seated. <clears throat> well, as you can see, we are um, coming to the end of First uh, Corinthians. Um, so, I was uh, looking yesterday, and I don't even remember now what month we started in, but anyway, we spent all of... 2012 and uh, now part of 2013 uh, in, in 1 Corinthians, so um, now we're wrapping it up. So this morning we're looking at some <clears throat> final exhortations here from the Apostle Paul to the believers in the ancient city of Corinth. Um, today, um, you look on a map, it's still there by the way, uh, Corinth is not a major city, I, I, I don't suppose, today. Um, Corinthos on the map, you can one of the wonders of technology. I mean, you can Google these things and, and actually go down and see at the street level a lot of times. It's pretty fascinating. Um, but in its day, in the, first, in the first century, when Paul was writing this epistle, it was a major city, major center for, for trade. And as we've talked about for months now, Paul is dealing with multiple problems in the, in the church there. And you've you got to remember that um, these people are, for the most part, are fresh, out of paganism, not that you and I were exactly saints when we came to the Lord, and I don't, I don't want to give that implication at all, but, um, but it was um, a little different situation than, say, for the apostles. You know, the apostles were, were just as lost, spiritually speaking, but they had um, substantial moral background being, being raised in, in Judaism. Um, so, so in some ways, you could say there's there's a, 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 
a, a difference in the change. It's still a radical change, but there's, but there's a difference in the change. But these people are fresh out of idolatry, paganism, and uh, they're, they're actually, um, again, not to imply that we don't do this either, but they're, they're actually bringing some of their old practices into the church. And, and, and making some of these, trying to, uh, one way to put it, I guess, would be trying to sanctify some of their old habits and practices. And so Paul's been taking on these things one by one, everything from sexual immorality to just um, divisions, you know, schisms in the church, personality-driven divisions. He's been, he's been dealing with them one after the other in doctrinal disputes like the, like the one we just finished dealing with on the resurrection. And so now he's just giving some closing comments to the letter and some final Exhortations. And so this morning, I want to uh, talk about what I think Paul is talking about here, and that is a, a final call to unity. That has been one of the major issues. I mean, right in the beginning, right in chapter 1, especially in chapter 3, uh, Paul talks about the divisions in the Corinthian church, and, and we discussed that a great deal. They were, generally speaking, as a body, divided against Paul. That is, they... they Question his authority, his apostleship. They had problems with his teaching, and then also within the Corinthian church, they were even uh, they were even divided against each other. Sometimes based, as I mentioned a moment ago, sometimes based on personality-driven preferences. Paul said, "Some of you say that I'm of Apollos. Some of you say I'm a Cephas. Some of you say I'm a Paul, and so forth." And sometimes divisions along. Um, Socioeconomic lines, you know, you get, you get over into chapter 11, for example, and you find, of all places, divisions when they would come together to partake of the Lord's Supper based on their economic status. I mean, some of the, the, the ones who, who were well-to-do were just making a party of it, while others who were poor were, were actually going hungry. And so, of course, the, the Apostle Paul... Um, rebuked them for that and, um, and gave them instructions on how to properly uh, even partake of the Lord's Supper in, in love and in unity. So again, that's this, this disunity, this discord, these divisions have been a problem um, that we've been, we've been seeing all the way through the epistle. And so this, again, is what I would call a final call to unity. I think that's the background here. Paul is saying, come together in love, humbly, for the sake of, of the glory of God, as we saw in chapter 10, whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God, for the sake of the glory of God, and for the benefit of one another. Love one another is what he's calling on them to do. So, um, we're going to look at a couple things here that, that Paul brings, brings out, I think, as a, as a means of getting to that end, reminding them of these things. First of all, um, service and submission. Service and submission. And Paul uh, mentions here the household of Stephanus. We would say Stephen if you bring that over into the uh, modern English, uh, as a modern English name, Stephen. The household of Stephanus. In verse 15, Paul is, is giving a, actually giving a, uh, an exhortation here or a summons. I'll come back to that in a moment. First, I want to kind of focus on the house of Stephen, uh, Stephanus here. But he says, Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. 
and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. That's interesting already. These people were the, um, the, the first converts in this, in this area. First fruits, Paul calls them here. In fact, if you're looking at Old King James, you'll see that it, it translates it literally that way. They are the first fruits. And we, we talked about that already uh, quite a bit back in chapter 15 because Paul has been using that metaphor while talking about the resurrection. Jesus was the first fruits, Paul says, from the dead. Well, what is first fruits? And we, again, we talked about that in discussing the resurrection and why Paul would use that metaphor. The first fruits is the first part of the crop that, that produces, that you receive, and it's a guarantee of more to come. So when Paul was talking about the resurrection, specifically the resurrection of Christ, he was saying Christ, Jesus, is the first fruits from the dead, meaning He's a guarantee of more to come. So because He lives, we will live also. Because He was raised, we'll be raised. That was Paul's point in arguing for the doctrine of the resurrection. Now he says the household of Stephanus was, were the first fruits of Achaia, the region of Achaia. These were the first ones brought in to the kingdom in that area and evangelized by the, uh, evangelized by the Apostle Paul. And they were the first of what would turn out to be much more to come. As Paul says, you know that. You know, you know about them. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. And listen to what he says about them. And that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. And again, I like the old King James here. It says they're addicted. They're addicted to the service of the saints. Well, we get accused, and my wife was accusing me this morning of being addicted to sugar. Of course, I told her I can put it down anytime I want to, right? right? But uh, <clears throat> I just don't want to at the moment. But, but you know, I told her, oh, I'm just addicted to food. You know, and that happens to be one of the things that come into play. But, but no, we get accused of, and, and we talk a lot about different kinds of addictions. This is not one that often comes up. I mean, how many times have you been, addic- you've been accused of being addicted to service? Service to the saints. It's a great addiction. I mean, there are a lot of addictions that need to be laid down. Uh, most of the time, you know, that th- this, this rule certainly applies. You know, do all things in moderation so you don't want to be addicted to anything, usually. I mean, that's usually a good rule to follow. But when it comes to serving the saints, when it comes to something like loving the Lord, that's a good addiction. That's something good to be given to or to be devoted to. Now, literally, the word is they appointed themselves. They appointed themselves. And this, this is a, a willing, on their part, a willing devotion. Willing, self-sacrificial devotion to, to others. So, this is, this is what I would call here humble service. Humble service. They they have um, no doubt in in a in a genuine intentional effort to follow the Lord to be like Jesus. They humble themselves to be servants, servants to the church. That's what it means by the saints. Now specifically, talking of course about the the church, the congregation at Corinth. <clears throat> Although 
uh, no doubt, uh, their mindset was service to all Christians. In fact, they're serving Paul, as we see here, and he's not a, uh, a member per se of the church of Corinth. But this is what they are devoted to. This is what they're known for. And again, what a thing to be known for. Devotion to the saints. So Paul says, you know about them. You know about Stephanus and his household, the household of Stephanus. They were the first converts in Achaia. And you know that they have devoted themselves or appointed themselves to the service, service of the saints. Now the word service there uh, means just that. I mean, it just has that simple meaning. But it's the word from which we get our word deacon. And so um, some translations, like, uh, the old King James will say uh, ministry. Ministry is a, a great word when it's properly understood. Understood as service. That's what the Scripture means by it. A lot of times when we say, when we talk about the ministry or we talk about ministering, we, we have something, you know, maybe kind of hyper-spiritual in our minds. And it's certainly not a bad thing to, to serve in a spiritual sense. But I mean, we just, we just think of it as, you know, like on a different plane or something. You know, somebody's called to the ministry, you know, we say. Or you hear people say, well, you know, I really tried to minister to so-and-so. But the word just simply means to serve. And there are myriads of ways that that can be applied. One of the ways that is mentioned in this, in this passage is by providing for poor saints. That's, that's called a, a service. Just meeting their, their needs. And then we're going to see, as we go further this morning, that they also serve Paul by coming to him, refreshing him, comforting him, and, and fulfilling, um, actually, something that the whole church of Corinth is not able to do. In other words, they're, they're coming to Paul, helping him and meeting his needs on behalf of the church of Corinth. So they're just servants. I mean, they just dedicated themselves, appointed themselves addicted themselves to service. Serving serving the saints. Serving the church. Does that sound familiar? Does it kind of sound like the Lord? Jesus says in, in Matthew 20, I didn't, I didn't come. The Son of Man didn't come to be served. And He uses the very same verb here. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve but to serve. And that's why I said a moment ago, no doubt, what they're making a, uh, an intentional effort to do here is to mimic the Lord Jesus. In other words, they want to live for the benefit of other believers and give their lives to that. Now, there's a, there's a couple of possibilities here that I just want to mention, and we don't, we don't know for sure exactly what they were doing, okay? But uh, one possibility is simply what I just said. In other words, Paul, Paul could be talking about um, they just have a service heart in the sense that they try to serve the church in whatever way possible, you know, getting food to the poor, clothes to the, to the naked, and um, shelter to the homeless, all that kind of thing. Um, 
ministering to the poor saints as we talked about last week. It, it could just mean simply that. They have dedicated themselves to that kind of service. And it, it could mean, rather, that they are filling, fulfilling some kind of service of the Word. In other words, they're, they're involved um, directly in, in the propagation of the Gospel in, in some um, sort of formal sense, like you know, teaching, um, serving as elder, or, or, or something of that sort. I think that's likely um, just, just from the language, because this is the kind of language that Paul uses uh, when describing these things. In fact, a little further down, he's going to refer to them as fellow workers and laborers, and that's how he refers to himself and other apostles back in chapter 1. Also, in, in, in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, very similar to what we're going to see here in a moment, he says to the church in Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Similar language to what he uses here. Here he says, um, you know that they have dedicated themselves to the service of the saints, and so he he says, I I urge you to um, essentially to respect that. He'll say, "Be, be in submission to them, and then he goes on to say, uh, that they are to be acknowledged. So the household of Stephanus were dedicated to the service of the saints. And again, what I call humble service. That is, they, they've humbled themselves intentionally to serve others. Now, here's, here's the, the exhortation, the summons. Again, verse 15. Now I urge you, brothers... And for the rest of that statement, you've got to jump to verse 16, because everything between there is, is parenthetical. So he says, Now I urge you, brothers, verse 16, be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. So, Paul says, You know about the household of Stephanus and how they are given to They've given themselves to what I'm calling here humble service. Now he's calling on a a response, a proper response to that. And he says, I'm urging you, and the the word is is, um, the same word group from from, uh, uh, where we get the term election, call, to be called. It's the idea of summons. I'm summoning you. So, so it's a strong word. It's, it's Paul's desire expressed here in the form of a strong exhortation. I'm urging you, be subject to such as these. So now he's calling for humble submission in response to the humble service of the household of Stephanus and the others. Some he'll mention here, uh, Fortunatus and uh, Achaicus, which... We don't know. They may be part of the household of Stephanus. They, they may just be um, other laborers. Uh, it, it, they're definitely that, possibly part of um, Stephanus' household. 
So Paul says, the right response to their humble service is humble submission. Now again, two possibilities here. It, it may be that, that Paul, um, in the interest of unity and everything we've been discussing here about living for the glory of God, it may be that he is simply calling upon the Corinthian church to mutual submission. You know, they're, they're serving. You know that they're serving. Acknowledge that. Submit to them. Submit out of Christian love. Second possibility is, and this goes along with the second possibility I gave you a moment ago concerning their service. Second possibility is that, again, they are serving in some kind of teaching, leadership capacity, maybe as elder or something of that sort, uh, ministering the Word, in other words, serving the Word, like the apostles spoke about in Acts 6. And because... They're in this teaching capacity, leadership capacity, uh, whatever term you want to put on it. Um, he is calling on submission to them because of that. Now, I, again, I think that's a, a strong possibility in light of what I just read you in First Thessalonians 5 and also because of the context of this letter where, again, if you go back to chapter 1, you got the schisms, personality-driven schisms. I, some say I'm of Paul, some say I'm of Apollos, some say I'm of Cephas. So you, you've got divisions, sects, S-E-C-P-S, you know, people divided, I'm following this guy, I'm following this guy. And so Paul brings up some of the ones that he approves of and, and, and possibly, you know, possibly they've been catching some of his flack because obviously they are supporters of his because here they are ministering to him, we're going to see in a moment serving Him, right? And so possibly they're catching some of His flack, you know, because, oh, well, those guys, those guys are followers of Paul. So Paul's just simply saying, look, you, you know, you know about their devotion to service, to the service of the saints. Submit to them. Submit to them. Because of what they're doing. Because of their heart. Because of their devotion to the glory of God, which works out through service to the saints. So he says, be subject to such as these. Notice he doesn't just limit it to them. He's saying, whoever, whoever serves in this capacity, be, be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. Now, this, this is another reason I think he, he may be um, speaking about um, their, their service in, in some kind of leadership capacity. E either way, even if that's not the case, he's calling for loving, humble humility here. Okay? But the language does seem to in indicate it. Let me go back to chapter 5 for just a moment. And... Uh, read you uh, just a, a similar statement, uh, similar use of a, of, a, of a word here. Here in, in uh, chapter 16, he calls them fellow workers, right? You go back to chapter 5. I'm sorry, I'm telling you wrong. 
It's not chapter five. He does use, he does use that same noun in chapter five of Second Corinthians, and that's 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 what I'm looking at here. But that's not where I want to go right now. Go back to chapter three, chapter three, verse nine. He who plants, you may remember this discussion. Again, he's talking, you know, what is, what is Apollos? What is Paul? We're just servants. That's up in verse 5. You get down to verse 8. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we, and he's speaking of himself and Apollos and the others who work in the, in the, uh, in the service of the Word, you know, preaching, teaching. For we are God's fellow workers. Now, that's, that's a noun form of the same word we're looking at over in chapter 16. Um, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. So he says about the Corinthian church, the church, you're God's field, and we're the fellow, uh, we're, we are God's fellow workers. That is, we are God's laborers. We're out here cultivating, plowing the field, spreading the fertilizer, watering. Some plant, some water, but we're nothing, Paul says, because it's God who gives the increase. All we are is God's laborers, His fellow workers. Now, back in chapter 16, he says, Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. And laborer. So that, that term fellow worker uh, from the same um, derivative, the same word root there. So he's saying of Stephanus and his household, they're fellow workers. He's calling upon the church to respond in humble submission to their devotion to service. So, humble service, humble submission. Service and submission. That those things you know you've got the service and the proper response proper proper response to faithful service. Secondly, <coughs> refreshing and rejoicing. Now we're going to get to some of the effects, okay, of that service. Still got the household of of Stephanus in mind and their their faithfulness and their devotion to service. Paul says in verse seventeen, "I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, Nicacus." In other words, they're, they're coming to him from, from the church at Corinth. They're coming to him. They probably brought the letter that he spoke about back in chapter 7, uh, outlining some of the, some of the uh, what turned out to be some of the uh, topics for discussion here that Paul's dealt with. And Paul says, I rejoice that they're coming because they have made up for your absence. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. Now, Paul says, here's, here's some of the effects of their, their service. Personally, Paul says, I'm, I'm benefiting, benefiting from their devotion to service personally. And the result is joy. Now you can imagine... Um, with all the stuff that, that Paul would go through in his traveling and preaching and uh, going into places um, like Ephesus that he mentions here uh, a little further back, all the opposition that he meets and all the persecution. And so then Christian brothers come 
And you can kind of imagine the rejoicing. In fact, um, you know, we can identify with it to some extent. We rejoice in Christian fellowship. We love to come together. We love to get together and be refreshed, right? It is. It's refreshing. How much more if you were just out there constantly going through the kind of stuff that Paul was dealing with and suffering, actually going into places where they were hostile. You know, not just turning a deaf ear, but, but picking up rocks and, and throwing them and that kind of thing, beating, beating him with rods and all of, all of those sorts of things. And Paul says, I rejoice at their coming. Their faithfulness and service resulted in joy for the recipient. I, you know, I think we ought to come, and, and I want to be clear on this before I make this next statement, I, I think we ought to come together to get. I really do. This is not going to be one of those either-or things. Some people, sometimes you, some people say, well, you know, we, we're looking too much to get and not enough to give. I, I think we ought to come together expecting to get, expecting to receive, first and foremost from the Lord, right? We want to come together in corporate worship and just be blessed by God. And God is always, if you're, you're born again Christian, God is always with you. He, he, he doesn't leave you for one second. But there's something special about Christians coming together that you don't get when you're alone. People say, I can worship God on the lake or I can worship God in my closet uh, or under a tree somewhere. That's right. And you should. We all should. <laughs> but, it, but it's not a substitute for coming together. And when we come together as believers, we ought to expect to be blessed and to receive and be edified. Be blessed from the Lord directly. Be edified by the encouragement and the fellowship with the saints. But we also ought to expect to be a blessing. To be a channel, right, for God's grace. And that ought to be a desire for us. To be like the household of Stephanus. To be devoted to or addicted to or appoint ourselves to the service to the saints. In other words, Lord, when I, when I go to church today or even any other time that we're meeting somewhere, even if it's you know, just a small group in a house or whatever, when I go and I meet with the saints, Lord, make me an encouragement to them. Make me a blessing to them. A lot of times we pray... Uh, on like on Sunday night, uh, Saturday nights rather, and one of the things that will come to mind a lot of times that I pray for is, Lord, help us. And I mean us, the, the the church at Fillmore. Lord, help us to be ready for church tomorrow when we come together. Prepare us. Prepare us. Prepare us. Prepare us to receive. Prepare us to give to be a channel um, that God uses to bless others. That's, that's what Stephanus is doing. It's what Fortunatus is doing. It's what Tychus are doing. Channels of grace. And the result is joy in the recipient. The Apostle Paul, you think, well, you know, the Apostle Paul, he should have just been on cloud nine all the time. What does he need with somebody else? Serving him to find, you know, to, to, to be um, to bring him joy. 
Well, we all do. We all, we all need fellowship. The Apostle Paul is not above it. I'm certainly not, right? None of us are. So, he is blessed. The result of their devotion to the service to the saints is joy. Joy for the recipient. Paul says, I rejoice at their coming. That is, their coming to me. And they have made up for your absence. That is, they, they provided something. And this is not a, you know, he's not saying this in any kind of derogatory way. He's not, it, because literally, it's like he's saying they, they have provided something that you did not. But it's not in a derogatory sense. He doesn't mean it like a slap in the face. You know, they, they, you weren't doing it, so they did. Not what he's saying. He's just saying we, we're separated. We're separated geographically. We're separated by miles. And so them, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and uh, Achaicus, they have come as your representative and they are here present with me providing what you could not because of our separation. They have made up for your absence. How? By, by being present. That's good, isn't it? Just, just by being together. Paul's just, just having personal contact. You know, speaking of addictions, social media can be addictive, can it? And there are a lot of great things about it. There are a lot of things that I appreciate about social media. Some things I don't obviously appreciate about it. But there are a lot of, a lot of great things about it, a lot of great ways it can be used. I got family members scattered around the country that uh, used to you just very rarely saw their face or anything. Now you see pictures of them and their family and you know their dog and the whole nine yards. Sometimes more than you want to see um, of all the details. Or, but it 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 can be a great tool. But you know what? As great as it is, it doesn't replace personal contact. The old media, what we now call the old media, radio, television. Again, can can be very useful. I'm I'm glad that there are solid preachers out there on the airwaves. I think they're few and far between. <laughs> so, so, you know, don't just think, well, because I got a preacher on TV, it's good. <clears throat> Probably not. But there are some out there, and there are some out there on the radio, and I'm glad they're out there. But they can't do one thing. And that is have personal contact with you. They don't. They, those those things, as good as they are, do not replace personal contact. And Paul is full of joy because of the personal representation of the church at Corinth. That is, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus there in person to fellowship with Paul. He says, I rejoice at their coming. They have refreshed my spirit. I'm rejoicing because for, verse 18, for they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. The Paul says, in coming to me, they have refreshed me, and I know that in serving you as they normally do, they provide refreshment for you, spiritual refreshing for you. So they, they refresh me and they refresh you. 
So he says, be subject to such as these. In response to their humble service, render humble submission. Now, he's finished out verse 18. Just kind of reiterating what he said a moment ago. There, in verse 16, it was, be subject to such as these. That's his main exhortation. Verse 15 and 16, I urge you, brothers, I summon you, I call you, be subject or be in submission to such as these. And now in verse 16, he says, give recognition to such people. Some translations say acknowledge such people. And again, notice how he generalizes it. He, he doesn't just say to Stephanus or Fortunatus or Achaicus. He knows there are other people within the Corinthian church who are also devoted to service. And there are other people in other places also devoted to service. So he says, be subject to such as these or give recognition to such as these are to such people in verse 18. One last thing here on this point. Verse 18, that word recognition in the ESV, it's an interesting word. Epigonosco. It's, it's an emphatic word for knowledge. And I used to love to hear um, sometimes when we run across it in various texts and... <laughs> R.F. Gates, uh, back when we had you know, the Bible studies, he would get kind of excited about it. And I loved his explanation of it. He said, the word epigonosco is the idea of knowledge upon knowledge. Knowledge upon knowledge, piled up, heaped up. So it's not just knowing or not just being aware, but it's talking about a thorough knowledge. Knowledge heaped up. Knowledge upon knowledge. Epi. Epi means upon. Gnosko. Knowledge. To know. What does Paul mean? Well, one commentator suggests he means be thoroughly acquainted with them. Get to know them good. They, they've devoted their lives to service. Get to know them good. Brother Carl, the other morning, Brother Carl was talking about Step Martin and what a great pastor he was and is, but, but he's kind of sort of retired if you can do that kind of thing. Pastor Emeritus at Calvary. But um, Brother Carl said a, lot, said a lot of people, you know, of course it's a big church, and a lot of, he said a lot of people would kind of treat him like Moses or something, just kind of, standoffish because, you know, because he's spiritual. And he said, you know, he, he wasn't like that at all. And you could just you could just get to know him. And I've only met the man one time and been out to lunch with him one time. I could tell that. He, he just You can tell he loves people. So a lot of times what happens is people don't get to know somebody like that because they don't make a point to get to know them. I don't make an effort to get to know them. And Paul's saying, look, you know about Stephanus, Fortunatus, Achaicus, and how they've given their lives to the service of the church, the service of the saints. They are devoted to serving. Now he's saying, 
Get to know them. Get well acquainted with them. Probably for several reasons. Maybe one, because he wants the Corinthians to follow their example. Two, maybe, maybe because Paul's saying, they brought me great joy in coming. I, I, I find that being around them is a great blessing. I want you to be more blessed as well. And maybe because he knows their heart for service and he's, he's get to know them because they, you'll find that they just want to serve you. They are given to humble service. Now, humbly submit to them and be thoroughly acquainted with them. And you know what all that will do? It'll destroy all the divisions that they've been having such a problem with. If instead of saying, I'm of this guy, and I'm of that guy, you know, that group there, this guy, I'm a Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm a Cephas, and the different groups were saying, if, if they were all given to humble service and humble submission, and if they were all diligent to be well acquainted with those who were serving them, you know, the Apollos and the Pauls and the Cephas, The unity would just fall into place, so to speak. The divisions would melt away. One last thought here. We were uh, Thursday morning. We were at our regular Bible study. Thursday morning Bible study. Myself, brother Carl, brother Ron was there, and uh, you know we're going through a discussion in a, in uh, Philippians. And Mike Harris, a friend of ours, made this statement in the course of the discussion. Um, He said, humility is the pathway to unity. Now, I was thinking about, of course, I was thinking about that since since he said it. And plus, you know, as I was looking at this text and, and what Paul is telling the Corinthians here, I got to thinking about that. Boy, how appropriate is that? How applicable is that? Humility is the pathway to unity. That's that's exactly what Paul is calling for here. He's calling for unity. Christian unity. Loving unity. And in doing that, even though he doesn't use the word humble or humility here, that's what he's talking about. saying... Stephanus and his household are given to service. That requires humility. And he's giving an exhortation to the Corinthians, be subject to them, be in submission to them. That requires humility. And the purpose in all of it is unity, to come together in Christian love and unity. And so Mike's statement just kind of sums it up real well. Humility is the pathway to unity. That's basically what Paul is saying. Serve humbly. Submit humbly. Be unified. For the glory of God. And for the mutual benefit of all the believers. Would you stand please?